This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Do you want to set your child up for success? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Well, I know with Eleanor, when she was struggling so much with math, if she had been able to do online learning at home, she would have been much better able to keep up with class, and that would have just made the whole situation much easier for her. Don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And happier listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com happier. Visit IXL.com happier to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about why you might cultivate a side hustle and how your very well-intentioned remarks may be making someone unhappy by raising the bar. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who is my partner in my side hustle. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and although I love a good side hustle, I'm quite sure no one wants to see me do that. (laughs) (laughs) I can attest to that. Well, I remember doing the hustle with you, actually, like when we were in grade school, and I thought that was like going to be the height of cool. But we will only do it for ourselves now. Um, But Elizabeth, you have some incredibly exciting news. Happier in Hollywood is less than two weeks away. Can you believe it? Yeah, Gretchen, we are so excited. It launches May 18th. And uh, we just booked Marsha Clark to come on and be a guest. So she's going to have a lot of interesting things to say about how to be happier in Hollywood. (laughs) That'll be a fun interview. Wow. And we are just having the best time. So I hope everybody listens May 18th. Yeah, that's coming up. And Elizabeth, I have some exciting news, which is that I have unveiled the cover of my book, The Four Tendencies. And when when I did, I said to people, I hope you like it, but don't tell me if you don't like it because yes, I what am that. I going to do? Done is done. But it's very nice because a lot of people were like, oh, I love it. So thank you. Gold star to you if you told me that you loved it. Yeah. It's one of my least favorite parts of working in a book. I think a lot of people think that would be fun. But I find it very stressful. And so I'm really happy to have such a beautiful cover in the end after all that. Yeah, it looks great. Can people see the cover if they go yes. on Amazon or on your website? Yeah, yeah. You could go to happiercast.com slash 116 and I'll have an image of it there. Or you can go look at it on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or indie books. And it, it's there. And it's very exciting. Well, I pre-ordered my copy, Greg. Oh, what a good sister. Um, but listen, this week, our Try This at Home tip is to have a side hustle. 
And we were inspired by this by listening to Chris Gillibo's excellent podcast called Side Hustle School. And it's an interesting idea, this idea of the side hustle. So, Gretch, what exactly is a side hustle? So Chris has a very specific definition of a side hustle. So what he calls a side hustle is when you have something that you're doing on the side of your day job that is income generating. So it's not something that you're just doing for fun, but or maybe you're doing it for fun, but you're, you're actually making money from it. And it's something that's an asset for you. It's something that you've created or that you're building. And I think the reason that a side hustle is tied to the idea of happiness is that Chris talks about it as this is a way to really give yourself freedom. You give yourself financial freedom because you have this extra money coming in. You also give yourself personal freedom in that you don't have all your eggs in one basket at work. You've got other choices, other options. It's often like a different outlet for something that you're interested in. Maybe your day job really taps into one part of your brain, but then in your side hustle, you're tapping into a completely different set of skills and interests. So it's fun. It's energizing. And it just makes your life bigger. And it also gives you more freedom because you do have this extra bit of money. And sometimes it's quite significant. Some of the side hustles Chris has talked about have turned into empires, not many, but some. And you really see how this builds people's happiness. Yeah. And what I love the idea that it gives you a little bit more freedom at work if it generates enough income to where you can sort of stand up for yourself more. Yeah. Maybe you have less fear about getting fired. And according to Chris, and I absolutely see how this would play out, at least in my business, people who have more confidence actually end up doing better. <laughs> so it actually ends up making you more successful at your job because you feel like you don't need it as much. Right. So you can stand up for boundaries or what you need or working conditions or being overworked or whatever, because you, you're not so desperately attached to it. And sort of along the same lines, it can also be an exit strategy, because I think sometimes people maybe don't want to be doing their day job, but they can't just quit and start all over again. And so it's a more gradual way to make a transition. You can test out an idea. You can see like, well, do I like doing this kind of work? I'll do it in a little way. I won't completely switch everything to this other path. I'll see how it goes, see how I like it, see if it's working. And in that way, you allow yourself to consider making a move, but in a way that is less high risk. Yeah. Like say, if you're like, you love yoga, you could start teaching private yoga or do doing yoga retreats. And if you see, oh, wow, this really generates something, you can move toward doing that full time. If it doesn't generate enough, then you could just do it on the side as something you love. Right, right. Well, and it's interesting because I did this with writing because as you all know, Elizabeth, I was working as a lawyer. I was clerking for Justice O'Connor and I had this idea for a book. So I started doing it on the weekends and in my free time at night. I would work, work, work on the book. And then at one point I went out and got a book called How to Write and Sell Your Nonfiction Book Proposal and started trying to sell the book and get an agent and do all that. But it wasn't like I was like, okay, I have to quit everything else I'm doing and do this full time. For a while, I was doing both. For actually a couple of years, I was sort of pursuing both. One is my day job and then one is my side hustle that I hoped would turn into something. And then, in fact, it did. And then I stopped the law and went full time to the writing. Yeah. So you are a living, shining example of this, Scratch. Yeah. Except my side hustle didn't generate income along the way, but it was intended to generate income. Now, we have our own side hustle going, Gretch. Yes, we do. This is our side hustle. Yes. Though we didn't really conceive of it of that when we started it, but it's absolutely a side hustle. Yeah. And we'd always wanted to collaborate on something as sort of a hobby. And we actually had tried to uh, do a book together, but it just it never quite got finished. Yeah. 
But this was like our perfect chance to collaborate. Exactly. And it's fun. It's a different outlet for both of us. It makes money because we have ads. And we are very grateful to our advertisers because that allows us to have it be free to our listeners. And it's really opened up a whole new world to us. I mean, Elizabeth, you and I have gone to these podcasting conferences. And it's been this wild adventure that's opened up our world. But we both still have our same day jobs. Yes. And, you know, the other thing I love about it, Gretchen, just personally, and I think other people probably experience the same thing, is so much of my job is sort of taking criticism and being told what I've done wrong (laughs) and having to do what other people want. And the podcast is a a much freer thing. I mean, there's just less criticism involved. Not that we don't get criticism sometimes from our listeners, but it's not the same. You know, it's like we're our own bosses. Right. It's not the same levels of bureaucracy. Yeah. And so I think that's really satisfying. So I think for anyone who's in a job where, you know, you really are answering to someone, it's nice to go home and have this little thing that you're in charge of, whether it's, you know, your Etsy shop or designing T-shirts or, you know, whatever, knitting hats, you know, whatever it is, it's like something you're in charge of is very empowering. And I think that's a big happiness boost. Even if it takes some of your free time, yeah. it's so energizing that it it feels like in a way you've expanded your world. Or also like the idea that people value your knowledge. Chris has talked about side hustle hacks, like somebody doing these kind of alternative museum tours or uh, somebody creating a website where it's very specialized kind of information that not many people want, but the people who want it really, really want it very much. But you have some kind of very specialized information and it's really valuable to other people and you figure out a way to make a side hustle out of it. It's very exciting because it's something that you're lo- you love and you're interested in and then you can translate that into the side hustle. And here's the thing, Elizabeth, too. I just think one of the true things that happens is that when something is got money attached to it, Either both you might take it more seriously and the people around you might take it more seriously. There feels like there's accountability around it because there's some kind of financial transaction. And I think for many people, that accountability is really helpful. Yeah, I think if you're making a little money at something, it definitely helps the people around you allow you to carve out your time. (laughs) And I would say, you know, for a lot of stay at home moms out there, a side hustle could be a great outlet. You know, I've talked to a lot of moms who they love being at home with their kids, but at the same time, and, you know, everyone um, I'm sure has, you know, dealt with this. They can feel like, oh, I'm just talking to kids all day and I'm not using my brain in the same way. And I, I, that's frustrating to me. And I think this is a way to have the best of both worlds. So I think really for stay-at-home moms, it could be great. Well, and I think it's to think about the tendencies, the four tendencies. So there's a polder question or obliger and rebel. And I think this could be really good for obligers because a lot of times people will say something like, you know, I want to write an ebook manual or I want to start my own little design company or I want to, you know, get something going, something entrepreneurial going. But it's hard because there is no accountability. It's just something that you're creating on the side. And for obligers who need outer accountability to meet an expectation, that can often mean that they sort of just stay paralyzed. And so one of the things when you view it as a side hustle where you're really trying to make money, then you put yourself in the position where, okay, I'm going to get clients. I'm going to get students. I'm going to get customers. And the expectation that people are going to be ordering something for me and expecting something for me, that is going to allow an obliger to stick to it. Because 
if it's like, oh, I'm going to write a novel in my free time, that might never get done. But if you're like, oh, I'm going to write this serial novel that I'm going to post on this website and people are going to pay me 99 cents every time I post a new chapter. Well, people have read the first chapter. I promised them the second chapter would be coming. I have to follow through. So I think that is can be very helpful for obligers in just executing on their plans. Yeah, I know, Gretch. I don't think I've ever done anything in my life without a deadline. <laughs> I am a deadline junkie. You're an obliger. Yes, I'm an obliger. And so is Sarah, uh, my writing partner. We're doing a rewrite right now. And we kept calling every day being like, what is our deadline? We need a deadline. What is our deadline? Like, we could have just been working, right. but without a deadline, we're not going to finish it. It's just who we are. Yeah. Well, and, and by the way, if you want to take a quiz to know what your tendency is, it's at happiercast.com slash quiz. And you can find out if you're an upholder like me or a questioner like my husband or an obliger like Elizabeth. Or rebel like Chris. Chris Gillibo is a rebel, as we talked about in our live our live show in Seattle. Chris talked about being a rebel, and the side hustle kind of fits for rebels. It fits for everybody, but it especially maybe has attraction for rebels. Yeah, and Gretchen, you know, the thing is, I feel like the other thing about a side hustle is it kind of allows you to be your fantasy self. Ooh. Like, you know, my fantasy self is a co-host on The View. <laughs> <laughs> and this is my little way of being a co-host on The View. You know, it's my fantasy self. And if your fantasy self, you know, is an artist uh, whose work is at MoMA, then you can sort of design something, you know, and sell it. And that's, you know, living your fantasy self. Right. Because it's like, oh, I want to sit down on a couch and talk to Marsha Clark. Well, I'm going to sit down in his studio and talk to Marsha Clark. Yeah, it's your fantasy self. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let us know if you do try this at home and how cultivating a side hustle works for you. To learn more, you can listen to Chris's podcast, Side Hustle School, and his book, and spoiler alert, it's called Side Hustle, is coming out in September. You can pre-order it now. Let us know about your side hustle on Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, go to happiercast.com slash 116. This is episode 116 for everything related to this episode. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. So it's time for a happiness hack, and we get a lot of travel-related hacks, which is fantastic because I think anything that can make traveling easier and more fun is great to know. And here was a great happiness hack from Krista. She says, your recent episode, number 114, got me thinking about my own travel-related happiness hack. I'm a college professor, and on occasion, I have to travel for work. I've started the habit of taking one of my children's toys with me, a Mr. Potato Head Iron Man, (laughs) and snapping photos of Mr. Potato Head in the various places that I visit. I'm an obliger, so promising my kids that I'll take these pictures has made me more willing to venture out and visit local destinations as opposed to sticking to the conference venue and my hotel room. More importantly, it makes both me and my kids happy to share and discuss photos from my travels. And then she sent us a very cute picture of Mr. Potato Head in San Antonio. (laughs) I love this. I think this is hilarious. What a great idea. Yes, that would totally get me out of the hotel room. I can imagine being like, oh, I should go to that, you know, famous museum and take a picture of Mr. Potato Head. I absolutely get it. (laughs) In front of Van Gogh's sunflowers or whatever. It's adventurous. It's whimsical. It's fun. It gives you something to share with your kids. It gets them interested in what you're doing. And maybe if they're feeling like a little bit lonely for you. And then you can make a photo album. Yeah, I love it. Really cute. Yeah. Gretch, by the way, speaking of um, funny pictures, have you seen the viral um, photos that a dad has been taking? Um, he's been photoshopping his toddler daughter in dangerous places and then sending the photos to his uh like his the mother-in-law <laughs> so it'll be like she's sitting on a bridge you know something where you're like why would you take this picture <laughs> no but like really trying to fake him out or like as a joke uh, well i mean i'm sure she figured it out but it's very funny i love that oh i wish my photoshopping skills were good enough for that oh that's great oh i'm gonna look for that online oh my gosh that's great so this is a this is a terrific idea. It's fun. It's fun for her kids. It's fun for her. It gets her out of the conference hotel venue. It's a great hack. I love that. Thank you, Krista. Thanks, Krista. All right, Gretch. It is time for a happiness stumbling block. What do we got today? So on the the little mini episodes that I do every Monday, uh, a little happier. I talked a lot about how much I love it when someone knows just the right thing to say. I think that's mm-hmm. just so satisfying. But this happiness stumbling block is 
an example of the opposite. It's when people say the wrong thing. And this has come up in my life and I think for other people. And I think it's very well-intentioned, but it's actually a stumbling block. And so I thought it would be worth talking about because I think it's something that people do say meaning to be nice and they don't realize how it could have a negative effect. And that is raising the bar. Mm. Okay. So what do you mean by that exactly? Okay. So raising the bar is when something has happened, when someone's proud of something or has achieved something, and then you immediately raise the bar. So for instance, I remember when my book, The Happiness Project, hit the bestseller list for the New York Times. It debuted at number two, and this was huge for me. It was so, so, so exciting. And someone very close to me said, oh, boy, you hit number two. Next week, you'll be number one. (laughs) And I immediately felt so crestfallen and so deflated because I'm like, what do you have to do around here to get a gold star? I mean... I don't know if that's going right. to happen. But if you never get to number one, have you now failed yes. if you fall next week to number five? Yes. And it was so well-intentioned because I think the meaning was there's no limit to how far you can go. And in fact, I did hit number one, which was so hugely thrilling. But that's rare. And in fact, it happened to a friend of mine who had his whole life, basically. He's one of these people who's known his whole life what he wanted to do. He had wanted to be a tenured law professor. And he Mm. became a tenured law professor at at an excellent law school. And so he calls his dad, who's also a law professor, and he says, you know, hey, I got tenure. And his father's like, that's fantastic. Next thing you know, you'll be dean. And he's like, what? How did that happen? Now I've got to start gunning for Dean Mm. 10 minutes after having gotten the notification that I got tenure. And I think, again, it's intended to say your potential is limitless and you're going to go on and keep doing amazing things your whole life. And it's meant to show a person's faith and confidence in you. But to the person who's hearing it, it's very, very deflating. Yeah, but you can see how people would do this because they want to be encouraging And they want to go, well, you've achieved one goal. I know you're going to achieve your next goal. But it's like, usually we're all so exhausted by achieving the one goal. We just kind of want to sit there and bask in that goal for a good, you know, a good while. Yeah. I mean, as a tenured professor, I think it's maybe a good five, 10 years you'd want to enjoy that before you started thinking about another step. Having seen what my, one of my best friends went yeah. through to become a tenured yeah. professor, I mean... That was a journey I would not have wanted to go on. Exactly. And I was glad that I sort of put a finger on this for myself because I can easily imagine how I could do this myself. Because as a parent, your child brings home A grades and one B plus and then saying, thinking that it's being encouraging, oh, next semester you're going to get all A's. And thinking that that's a really positive way to think about it. But in fact, I think it would be very discouraging to hear that as the child. Yeah, it's better to validate what people are going through in a moment, right? And then if they later, maybe you could talk about it in terms of oh, asking what their goals are or something, but certainly not in that moment. Although I, this is something, by the way, I'm sure I've done a million times. <laughs> no, because it's easy to see why when you're saying it, it feels like the right thing to say. But it isn't the right thing to hear. But I think you're exactly right. I think you put your finger right on it that... What to do is to celebrate the present achievement, is to say, it has been such a long road for you. You have worked so hard. This is an amazing moment. Let's celebrate. What can we do to mark this special occasion? My big thing now is when anybody does anything remarkable, I take a picture of it and send it to all of our family. As you know, Elizabeth, because you are always on the email list for this. 
because mm-hmm. it, this is going to mark a moment, even a small achievement, whatever it might be. Um, but to celebrate the present achievement, and you're right, let discussion of what would come next come a little bit later and in the context of now what does the future hold for you or something like that, not right in the moment of immediately raising the bar. Yeah, Gretchen, I'm just think, imagining if, you know, Eliza, your daughter, recently got into Harvard and I'm just imagining if she got into Harvard and you were like, oh, great, next stop, Yale Law School. <laughs> she would have, she would have gotten in bed and never gotten out again. Yeah. Well, and also you raised something that I hadn't thought of, but is another danger of raising the bar, which is when you're raising the bar, you're identifying what the next bar should be. Right. And maybe you're putting ideas in a person's head where really the the next bar should be something very different. But you've kind of laid out your expectation of what the path should be. And that could be confusing to them. It could be upsetting to them. It could be just kind of a, a kind of a missed signal as you were saying earlier, better for them to say, what follows from this? Um, what's your next goal for yourself? You're, you're on the tenured faculty. Do you even want to be dean? Why is that going to be held up as the obvious next step? Yeah. Now, Gretchen, as your sister, I do have to make one comment about this raising the bar issue, which is that you always raise the bar for yourself. <laughs> Other people are always trying to get you to enjoy your successes and bask in your, you know, your little bit of glory. And you never want to. You're always on to the next thing. So you do this to yourself. I just want to point that out. I know, but this is why I'm so lucky to have you as my sister, Elizabeth, because you're always the one who's like, right. let's just let's not think about that right now. Let's just have fun with this. So I don't, you know, I actually don't think you raised the bar. You said you thought you probably had. In my experience, I don't really feel like you do. I feel like you do stay focused. But but it's a good thing, I think, for all of us to be aware of because it does seem like it's something easy to slip into. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's a listener question. And as always, you can leave us a voicemail question at 774-277-9336. Or you can dial 77-HAPPY-336, which is easier to remember. Or you can email us at podcastatgretchenrubin.com. This week, we have an email question. This week's listener question comes from Sarah. And fittingly, given that we've been talking about loneliness in a couple of previous episodes, it's related to maintaining relationships. She asks, I have so many people I want to keep in touch with, friends or couples I like to see monthly, some who I'm okay just catching up with in person once or twice a year, and those who live in another state who I want to text or call more frequently. Is it insane to come up with a list of keeping (laughs) in touch goals? Is it mean to categorize friends by how often you want to keep in touch with them? Obviously, I'd never share this with anyone. I wouldn't want someone to see they are on the once every six months list where others are on the once a month list. I just want to maximize the relationships I do have by ensuring I see people as often as possible and wondered if you think something like this might help. So I have to say, I think that this is a great idea. Now, I don't think it would appeal to everyone because I don't think Everyone wants to be systematic. I think for many people, this Mm. would kind of drive them crazy and they wouldn't want to do it. But I think if this is the kind of thing that appeals to you and that you can kind of follow through with, I think it is a great idea. Yeah, I do, too, because, I mean, first of all, as she said, the people are never going to know it exists. And this way you see people that you actually want to see, you know, as opposed to people who are just convenient to see Or there's always people who are better at making plans than other people. And so if you have someone like that who's maybe just an acquaintance in your life who's really good about reaching out, 
you suddenly might see them all the time, even if they're not a really close friend, just because they make the effort to make a plan with you where you might have a really close friend who doesn't do that, who you end up never seeing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Sarah is really right to focus on this because the research shows that as an element of a happy life, relationships are so important. Friendships are so important. And not just, you know, passing acquaintances or people that we're friendly with, but deep, enduring, long-term relationships. And so once you've made a friend, hanging on to a friend, it's really worth a lot of effort. And if this is going to make it easier, that's a great idea. And I think people sometimes have this idea of friendship that it should be spontaneous or you should just feel mm. like doing it or we'll just run into each other and go out for coffee. But I think for a lot of people, it just doesn't happen. And if you expect it to be spontaneous, then you just might end up not seeing people for months, years, even though you have a lot of affection for them and really want to see them. Just the circumstances don't arise. And so you have to create those circumstances if you want to maintain those close relationships. Yeah. Again, though, I would say this kind of systematic planned approach would not appeal to everyone. For sure, Sarah would want to guard this list with her life and never let anybody see it. Um, sounds yeah. like a kind of a Harriet the Spy <laughs> type situation <laughs> novel. But I, I think even if you wouldn't want to keep such a systematic list, I think for everybody thinking about, well, how can I think about the people who are the most important to me? And what are maybe some of the ways that I could more easily connect with them, like maybe you know, at the beginning of every month, I could think about it or, or our birthdays are near each other. So let's celebrate our birthdays and our half birthdays mm, that's or a good idea. this person I know really loves to go hiking. And so on the, you know, whenever the weather's nice, maybe I'll send her an email or whatever it is to just think about what could you do that could help you connect with them more regularly? Because you're exactly right. A lot of times it just becomes opportunistic. And when it's opportunistic, that's fun and easy, but it doesn't necessarily allow you to see the people that you value the most if they're slightly less convenient than the people who are more convenient. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is it just puts forth in your mind who you actually yes. want to see often. I mean, I think a lot of it is just identifying those people in your own mind, taking the time to really think about it. I know I've been trying to identify in my effort to make friends, which we have discussed <laughs> on this podcast several times. I've made an effort to identify people who I really want to forge relationships with and do things to further that. And I think part of that is sort of putting them at least on my mental list, if not an actual list. But, you know, I think that's a fantastic idea. I think even if you don't want to actually execute something like what Sarah's talking about, it'd be a great thing to do a fantasy list, a wish list. If I could, I would like to see this person once a month. If I could, I would like to see this person every six months. And then, like you say, then it's just in your mind. It's just you've got a sense of what you wish it was. And I bet even that would help carry you closer because you've just sort of clarified your own thinking about it and um, and kind of run through your list because it, you know, it would take time to sort of go through all the people that you know if you didn't sit down and write a list. Oh, so that's a great idea. So, Sarah, thank you uh, for this question. It actually turned into a happiness hack. <laughs> or maybe even to try this at home. Yeah. <laughs> Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, 
I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. All right. It is time for demerits and gold stars. And Elizabeth, it's your turn to do a demerit. Yeah. So Gretchen, this week, I feel like my demerit isn't a moral failing, as they often (laughs) seem to be, or ethical failing. Um, But it is something that causes me unhappiness. Mm. And that is not making timely decisions. And I think, I mean, I'm guessing a lot of people suffer from Mm -hmm. this, but a lot of times I have to make a decision and factors aren't going to change, you know, between now and a week from now, but yet I keep putting off the decision. And this goes from everything, like, for example, in our renovation, um, which I've, you know, talked about before, we're putting a fire pit in our backyard, and I have to pick tile for the fire pit. And Adam has sort of said, whatever you want is fine with me. And so it's like, the longer I wait to pick it, the longer it's going to take to get it, because we have to order it, and it takes weeks to get it. But yet, I just don't make a decision. But nothing's changing in, you know, these are the choices. So I have to make this decision about the tile. And every day that I don't make the choice, it's like this nagging feeling because I know that, you know, is a day longer that we're not going to have the tile. So there's, you know, anything from that to like, we have to make a doctor's appointment for Jack. And I am like, well, I'd rather not do it when he's in school, but yet he has all these activities and they don't see people on the weekend. And it's like, rather than just deciding, okay, on Monday, he's going to be late to school to go go to the doctor for his, you know, yearly checkup. I just don't make the appointment. Um, I mean, this got to the point where Adam actually, I usually make doctor's appointments, but Adam actually stepped in and made Jack's doctor appointment this year because I just like couldn't deal with making the decision about when to do the doctor's appointment. Or vacation, like Adam and I have a very small window to possibly take a vacation and I just can't act. So I don't know what's going on with me, but I'm definitely not making timely decisions. Can I rush in as your happiness bully and make a suggestion? Please. I think you suggested the solution to this earlier in this very episode, which is that you said you can never do anything without a deadline. And the problem with Mm. these things is they don't have deadlines. Ah, You know, you're right. Something that can happen at any time often happens at no time. I know the pain of the doctor's appointment so, so, so well. And this is why I hate making airplane. You're like, whatever I pick, it's going to be inconvenient. I'm going to wish I'd right. pick something else. I can't think about all the factors because there's so many things. that It just feels like your head's going to explode. So you just put it off. So I would say, could you email Brooke, your assistant, and say something like, could you make sure that by Friday I've, deci- I've decided about this tile and like remind me Wednesday mm. that the decision is coming up? Yeah, accountability partner. So she's your accountability partner. So and then it's like maybe say just say there's something and then it's like every day after that you have to remind me. So you're putting a burden on her because she's going to now have to add this to her to do list to remind you. And you're going to be like, oh, I just want to stop getting these emails. But it will be the sense that it has to happen by a certain date. And so do you think that could help? 
I do think that could help. I think that could that could be a solution. And also, for sure. when you're emailing her, you're not saying to yourself, I'm deciding now. So it's easy to send right. the email because it's like, oh, I'm not going to have to decide by, until Friday. And that seems like, oh, I'll easily make the decision by Friday. That's so far away. Right. But then Friday comes, you don't want to do it. But it's easy to send that email because it's not actually pressing on you. But then it will begin to press on you. I think that's a great idea. Um, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'll let Brick know she's my assigned accountability partner. Because part of the problem with these, these, and believe me, I do this all the time, so I need to swallow my own medicine. They drain us. It's like, oh, should I go to this event? It yes. sounds really cool, but I'm out that week. And oh, but I might see this fun person that I'd like to see there. But oh, I'm really trying to stay home. And, you know, and uh, y- y- you can just go in the spiral of decision making. So it could be very, very... It, but it just drains you every time you think about it. And it would be easier just to make a decision and commit and let yourself off the hook one way or the other. But it can be very hard to just take that step. So see if an accountability partner would help. Okay, I'm going to try that, Gretch. Um, now, what is your gold star this week? I want to give a gold star to my daughter's school. So she's a high school senior. And they have so many lovely end-of-the-year traditions. And I was never aware of what the seniors were doing before. So it's been really fun and exciting for me to hear about her talking about all the different things. Of course, she's known about it since, I mean, maybe since grade school, but certainly since ninth grade. She's known about all these traditions. And so for her, it's really exciting for it to be her. She's part of the senior lounge and, you know, all the being the bosses of the school, the seniors. And so on the last day of classes for the seniors, they all go up into the senior lounge and at and 315 is dismissal. And so counting down to dismissal, there's music, there's balloons, there's confetti, all these other kids crowd around, they play music and there's a big clock and they count down to 315. I got like choked up hearing about it. That sounds so fun. Yeah, they have a senior sleepover in the gym. So I'm going to, um, at the end, as a little treat, uh, she's talked about it on her podcast, Liza starting at 16. So if you want to hear Liza talking about something, <laughs> like a high school tradition, I'll put a little clip at the end of the episode because it's fun to hear her talk about it. Um, but Elizabeth, that got me thinking, what do you remember from our high school graduation traditions? I, c- I could only think of the stair ceremony. I couldn't think of anything else. We didn't have the stair ceremony uh, when I graduated. Because when I, I was there when it was still all girls. And this was a thing that the junior, senior girls did. But you were there when it went co-ed. And I think once it was co-ed, I think that was one of the traditions that they eliminated. Yeah. I mean, I remember our senior ditch day. Uh, oh, yeah. All the seniors ditch <laughs> and go to, you know, like, like a party. I remember our yeah. all-night graduation party. Ooh. But we didn't have any sort of real sentimental traditions the way they do at Eliza's school. Well, I, I love it. I think it's very festive. I've seen how much Eliza has grown closer to all her classmates through it. And it's a bittersweet time of year, so it's fun to have all these celebrations. And they're very imaginative, so it's been really fun to fun for me. So, And I think it helps process what's happening. It's like marking the end, and it's sort of, yes. you know, slowly processing like, okay, you know, all these things get you ready to move on to the next step. Absolutely. I think you really do want to mark those transitions because it helps you feel like you've had closure and now you're ready to move on. I think it's, and I think it's absolutely functioned that way for Eliza. Absolutely. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Cultivate a side hustle. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you or if you're just contemplating a side hustle. Is this an interesting idea that you're starting to ponder? Let us know what you're thinking about. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. 
Also thanks to Andy Bowers at Panoply. And a huge thanks this week to Chris Gillibo, who got us thinking about side hustles. For more ideas about how to do your own side hustle, check out his terrific daily podcast, Side Hustle School. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like the show, word of mouth is always the best. So please be sure to tell a friend about Happier and subscribe to us on iTunes. This week, the two resources I'd like to share. First, if you'd like a discussion guide for any of my books, for a book group, a spirituality group, Bible study group or the like, or a work group, just email me at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or you can go to my site, GretchenRubin.com, and you'll see the discussion guides. And speaking of my books, Mother's Day is coming up if you're in the United States and Canada. Let me self-promotingly suggest my own books. I have some books that a mother in your life might enjoy. The Happiness Project, Happier at Home, Better Than Before, my new coloring book. So check those out if you need some gift ideas. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us Onward and Upward. Something I've been talking about for a while is my high school's traditions, and one of them that we did yesterday was survivor photos, which means that if you've been at the school since kindergarten and you're graduating, we all go back to our little elementary school building, set up in the same place our original yearbook photo was taken, same order, same hairstyle often, and if our kindergarten teacher can come, then they're there, and we take a photo, and it goes in the yearbook, and it's really, really cute and nostalgic and like the beginning of the end of high school, and it's really sweet. I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for ways for my son to get involved and give back in our local community. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, is also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org students. That's lls.org students.